Welcome to Legacy Sport Live, stories of the people who are shaping the conversation at the intersection of sport, business and purpose. I'm Neil Duffy, co-author of our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Today I talk to Kevin Martinez, VP of Corporate Citizenship at ESPN. Kevin firmly believes in the transformational power of sport and that it should be a vehicle through which all kids can develop to their full potential. He shares with us how ESPN tries to facilitate this by giving as many kids as possible equal access to sports and the various ways in which ESPN brings to life its mission statement to serve the sports fan anytime, anywhere. It's great to have you with us today. Um, you know, I, I, when we, you and I first started um, talking to each other, um, I was amazed by how much ESPN does. I mean, it's just, it's, it's tiring to read your, your, your latest um, uh, citizenship report. Um, but before we, before we dive into that, I'd love to go back to, to kind of the beginning of all of this for you at a personal level. I mean, wh- where did you start your journey um, in the world of purpose and sport and how did you end up being at ESPN? You know, it's it's interesting because I had always loved sports. I grew up um, having this this I think a worldview understanding of the Olympic Games being a convening for peace and you know world thought. And I remember watching the 1968 Olympics with my family, <clears throat> and at the time I you know wanted to be a gymnast. And uh, I was not really built for to be a gymnast, but watching track and field and seeing, uh, you know, what was happening uh, in 1968 in Mexico City. And to me, that's just started it. I wanted to be in sports. My course of action to get there was was really never thought out. I, I never thought I would, you know, uh, have a career in sports. So I thought I was going to possibly get there by being close to it, like, you know, advertising and marketing and um, and that was an opportunity for me to look at where the adjacencies of things that I truly believed in, that sport had this unique ability to bring people together to do good things. Um, it started in basically 1968, so I'm telling my age, I'm 59, and uh, so I've been in this space for a while, um, but I think what really transacted it is, you know, I, you know, I grew up in Hawaii. My dad worked in the military. We were lucky to be stationed in Hawaii. I went to the University of Washington, um, and I became a cheerleader at the University of Washington. And I know people will say that, that probably isn't the, the right step in, um, but it, it allowed me to be kind of an ambassador in the sports space. Um, and to understand how the business of sports worked, uh, you know, as a, you know, basically a cheerleader where you had to go do a, appearances and you had to, you know, uh, be where all the athletes were. You had to, you had to know the coaches, you had to know the administration in the, you know, in a, uh, PAC 12, uh, PAC 10 at the time, um, you know, world powerhouse football team at the time where there was just a lot of great synergistic play and I loved sports. So I wanted to understand all parts of it, the marketing, um, the, you know, we the products that we were selling, uh, as well as just being a sports fan and being in front of a hundred thousand people at the Rose Bowl, things like that. 
Um, That allowed me to kind of, you know, uh, take some classes, uh, communications. I thought I was going to be the next Darren Stevens of the world and bewitched and, you know, go do advertising campaigns. I got a job at uh, an agency. I worked on McDonald's account. I did not like it. My first job was to walk Ronald McDonald around during the summertime at parades. I'm like, this is not what I wanted to do. And then I ended up getting a PR internship at the Seattle Sounders um, and fell in love with what was happening in the back of the you know, um, uh, house. And uh, I was a good writer. I was a great writer. Uh, and I learned that you needed to be a good writer in this space. And that was one of the first things I learned. Um, and then I established some connectivity in the market and long moving ahead, many, many different jobs, weighted tables, trying to make sure I was doing the right thing. I was a concierge at the Seattle Sheraton. And I met this guy named Bob Walsh, who was talking to Ted Turner about this really cool thing called the 1990 Goodwill Games. And I'm like, uh, and I was helping him, you know, find uh, restaurants and things to do. I was kind of his personal concierge because he came in and his headquarters was at Seattle Sheraton. So he ended up hiring me at the 1990 Goodwill Games. And that got me going into sports and doing well because I did marketing and PR uh, and merchandising for the games. And it was about bringing the Soviet Union together at the time, Russia, with the U.S. under an Olympic format. And it just was a really amazing turning point for me. And that was the catalyst of, I think, moving forward in sport. That's fascinating. I've learned something about you today that I didn't know before. So, um, <laughs> Aloha. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, fast forward to today where we are, we, where you're at ESPA and you, you, you're responsible for managing uh, the business's uh, corporate citizenship affairs. And, and ESPN talks about serving the sports fan. And um, I've heard you talk about before about, this idea that it's, you know, it's possible to harness the power of sport to inspire social good. So t- talk about um, how that translates into the work that you and your team do and maybe some examples of some of the things that you think have been most impactful. So, you know, I, I have to take a step back and say that when I got the job offer from ESPN in 2010, uh, Rosa Gaddy, who was running the unit at the time, was doing some extraordinary work. She was like the first woman who had actually worked in sports communications. She came from Brown University. I think she was a sports information officer there. And she was running the group here and um, had created programming um, that really, truly was just best of practice um, uh, for a media organization. Um, I think the first thing that, you know, uh, our listeners and sports fans need to know is that, you know, as a media organization, there are certain expectations of you to create programming, right, that you can involve yourself and become one with, you know, real-time news and information scores, messaging, right, Um, that there's storytelling going on. Um, But as a corporation in the media organization, you know, sector, we had a responsibility that was probably larger than what we were doing, which is that at the time we had uh, uh, George Bodenheimer and uh, Rosa and a number of people had created the V foundation for Jimmy Balvano. And so they were fundraising for cancer research. It has now become absolutely a best practice in, I think all of corporations about how you can use your power to a means and uh, hopefully to an end about um, a social issue or construct. Um, But a lot of people were wondering, well, what else are you doing in this space? And so George Bodenheimer and then Skipper um, 
came to me who are who are presidents um, and said, you know, let's let's look at where we could be in corporate responsibility because they wanted a more integrated approach to the work that was being done. They also realized through our advertisers, our sponsors, the leagues, they were doing much more than we were. And so we were having conversations with them and kind of, you know, hurrying to catch up um, with corporate responsibility, cause marketing, um, the conversation around uh, purpose. We weren't there yet. So they had hired me with my history back in mostly corporate responsibility through Starbucks, through Home Depot and Eddie Bauer and some government work to kind of help us get to a strategy that allowed us to, to be relevant in our sector. Um, and the sports sector, as you know, is, it's like the entertainment sector or, you know, the movie or television sector. It, 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 it is incredibly deep and dense, but it's, it's very siloed. Um, so depending on what sport is happening at what time and, you know, what major talent is playing and what agent is, you know, drawing direction. Um, and so we tried to really say that what we needed to do was to take a step back and introduce ourselves back into sports. So we were able to hire uh, some, a team that allowed us to look at a strategy um, that allowed us to be one, to earn the right to be in the conversation. And so we created a strategy that was a five-year strategy to say, okay, we're gonna look at access to sport. We knew that there were a number of particular issues. Uh, and at first we needed to have access to sport. To be honest with you, when we started, and even when I started, I knew a bunch of sports organizations, I knew what the leagues were doing, but we didn't have a good kind of landscape of where the charitable organizations were, what the impact issues were, what the social justice issues were, um, where people were leaning to, and quite frankly, we hadn't looked in the future to say what the impacts might be. So that allowed us to have a seat at the table, and that access to sport allowed us to be able to look at the most vulnerable, uh, particularly related to youth, military, those with disabilities, and say, let's help people find spaces to play. Let's make sure that they have the equipment. Let's make sure that we have coaches. Let's make sure that they had the right uh, coaching material or curricula. And we will fund organizations that are doing that. But we will try to do it a little differently in the respect that all of the grant making were corporate giving institution. We're not a foundation. It must have stringent KPIs attached to it so that we could measure the impact of how many new people we were bringing into a system, whether it was Special Olympics or whether it was African-American girls with the Women's Sports Foundation, that we needed to make sure that whatever we were spending on, we were looking at it from the consumer, the sports fans perspective, to truly make sure that we were making movement but also from an internal perspective as a corporate giving institution, not a, not a charitable by nature foundation, that we needed to demonstrate with our leaders, both at the Walt Disney Company, at NBDSPN, that the monies that they were giving us were transactionally attached to social movement, but also building our business. So tying ourselves back to the leagues, tying us, ourselves back to sponsors at the college football playoff or to the X Games and making sure that we were having a dialogue that the narrative, there was a common denominator in the purpose space. And so that access piece was our first step to really try to demonstrate that one, we should, we should be at the table, two, that we could earn thought leadership 
And the next step to that was a very simple step, which was that we needed to build content. We were obviously a 24-7 news operation talking about sports, live sports and, you know, uh, studio shows, that we also needed to build storytelling. And so the way that we did that was to look for particular organizations that we know we could go deep in, Special Olympics being the first of those, um, that was global, that we knew there were hundreds of thousands of stories, but to mine them through another strategy, which was leadership and empowerment through sport. We also knew that to create access is great. Be on that basketball court, give someone a basketball, uh, be a field hockey, you know, make sure girls had uh, equal access. But then what did they do with that? And what compelled them to be on there? And what did they do after their college, you know, field hockey games, you know, if they weren't going to the Olympics? How did that build their leadership capacity, their uh, health and nutrition, their mental wellness, their uh, uh, the parity uh, of equal access? And so that's where we really are now generating the next iteration of where we're going to go, which is really about this leadership and empowerment and taking opportunities to go deep in storytelling and to, con and to make sure that people understand that this is one piece of the equation for young people or people that are most vulnerable to build their best self, their, their greatest human potential. So as part of that, I'm struck with um, how broad ESPN's um, reaches in terms of the number of organizations you support. Um, I mean, it really touches many, many different um, aspects of society, doesn't it? It really does. You know, I always, I use this vernacular and my, my team kind of frowns at me when I say it sometimes, but it's like, we are Coke and Pepsi, right? You know, we have Nike, Under Armour and Adidas. Um, we are working with all competitors in our space because you know, thankfully, we, were, we are responsibly ubiquitous. We are multi-channel, multi-platform. We are we were everywhere where sports are. So there are sponsors with the NBA that are not sponsors with MLB, that are not sponsors at the X Games, that are not advertisers. Um, and so we need to be aware of the business market and the attributes of all of our partners and specific sectors, you know, Coke and Pepsi's are in the ready to drink market with Starbucks. Uh, we need to be aware of those social responsibility efforts. And that, that ubiquity has helped us be smart, focused, uh, but also, you know, cast the net wide and look for opportunities. We're not, we're not, we're not saying that we're so, stringent on our strategy that we're not looking for new ideas and that keeps us innovative and and competitive with even in our own business which is as you know innovating every single day from camera angles to the technology to how we report uh and the production values we need to be just as an innovative yeah. um so so just to change gear a little bit so you part of the strategy is to support other organizations that are doing good in the world in the community through sport, but you've also taken um, the initiative on creating some of your own new platforms, haven't you, like the Humanitarian Awards? Yeah, you know, it's been really interesting, Neil, the, the opportunity for us, um, you know, when we got into the strategy, we knew that this empowerment piece was gonna lead to storytelling, but we also knew there were certain areas that we needed to get to first. Um, and, you know, a lot of people maybe had criticized us on the front end is like, oh, you're doing too much celebration right on the front end of this. And it's like, well, you know, wouldn't it be smart of us to go 
what after we've earned a place at the table responsibly and you know with integrity uh, and making sure we're managing our investments correctly and our partners correctly but don't we have the right to also storytell but also to champion the celebration of things and so the humanitarian was a unique way to kind of work on a spectrum from both ends to the middle. We knew that, you know, we needed to use the power of sports for social good. We needed to demonstrate that we were telling that story, but then we also knew we needed to celebrate it. If, if we had just followed the narrow line, the linear line um, of working, you know, towards, you know, finding it, funding it, uh, you know, uh, telling the story, innovating in it, and then celebrating it, to be honestly, you know, there might be someone else that we had competitor that would get there before us. So we had always had this vision of who is the best in the market, who who are the icons of innovation, who set the standard. So Muhammad Ali, Billie Jean King, uh, Nelson Mandela. I mean, these are the names that popped up all the time. And so we said, so why shouldn't we also, in this process, if we're going to celebrate, manage a narrative that really is about impact? Not just about, let's just, you know, throw the most celebrated athlete on a stage for the moment because they're the most celebrated athlete. Let's really truly look at what are the impacts that they're making so that we can help the leagues and sponsors actually change the course of impact. In other words, so reading a book to a kid as an athlete you know, at a special event is a wonderful thing. And it's giving of their time and value. And these athletes are incredibly busy and they have a lot of different pressures now, more so than ever with, you know, the marketing and the agency of them. But now, you know, that's not literacy. It's about the investment of their time, but also the impact and the outcomes of what they're doing. Is that kid going to be relevant um, and reading a book and carrying that book? And then you're reading to his sister or brother or, or establishing um, you know, books for kids in, in schools, the literacy of it all, right? So a broader spectrum. The humanitarian allowed us, the Sports Humanitarian Year allowed us to really kind of, you know, uh, fly the plane as we're, as we're you know, building it, um, but also make sure that, you know, publicists and agents and managers and athletes and the leagues and sponsors knew that we were going to demonstrate that ESPN was going to be about measuring the collective impact and so there must there needed to be kpis that demonstrated that and that was a little different i mean nba cares and the nfl do some amazing work at walter payton award and the work that they do but this was allowing us to go out to the broad sports community and saying listen there's more here that we should know we're doing and we should celebrate it so you should know what the PGA is doing and the WNBA and et cetera. But we should also demonstrate how this is changing the course for all society. And so that was the beauty of it. And, and we're, I think we're in the sixth year now. We, we had no idea this would get so big. And now with the Billie Jean King Youth Leadership Award, we've taken it to the next step, which is to try to equalize it. There's not enough awards out there for women. There's not enough celebration of the true transactional change that women have made. And with Billie Jean King, you know, uh, allowing us to use her name and her platform with her leadership and direction still to talk about the next generation of youth leaders. That's the new innovation. That's about moving it forward. And I think that's what the humanitarian has given us. Right. So a lot of what we've spoken about so far has been very uh, customer facing. Um, to, to what extent do you involve the ESPN um, workforce or the, the team at ESPN and the work that you do? 
So um, the great thing about being part of the Walt Disney Company, uh, first of all, I hate the term, it's in our DNA. <laughs> I just, as a CSR professional, I know everybody says it's an easy way to get there. I can't stand that term. And the reason I don't like it is that all of us are built with DNA. The question is, do we use that DNA? And do we really kind of stretch that DNA and look at where the next you know, evolution of that DNA is? And I, I'm not sure a lot of leaders go to that next iteration. So I always try to tell and champion my leaders to not use that, but to say that we are built with curiosity and this, you know, um, uh, uh, there's there's a couple words in different languages that talk about this uh, undescribable definitive way of giving back. and um, I wish I could, I knew them all, but there, there, I can't I mean, there's one in Greek and there's one in um, the uh, uh, Yiddish and Jewish languages that talk about this way to give back to the world. Um, and the thing about the way that the Walt Disney Company has been built is that there's been this true belief that innovation truly does come from the front line, those closest to the customer. And if we don't allow for them to express and be part of the narrative to move forward on ideas of production or movies or sports shows or just you know w- ways to do stuff, then we are not serving our stockholders in any else well. And, but the great thing about ESPN is our mission statement is to serve the sports fan anytime, anywhere. That's not the citizenship mission statement. That's the company's mission statement. So if we look at the narrative of serve the sports fan, we believe that our department is a great ambassador and steward of that. But that serve means much more than volunteering. It means much more than just being part of. It means commitment over time. And so what we've learned is that uh, we have an incredibly high rate of volunteerism and commitments to the things that we do. I think we're running at, you know, like a 30, 35%, which is incredibly high for a small company. Uh, we're, our brand is bigger than we are. We have about 5,000 employees. Um, and as you know, we're in, you know, part of a multi-billion dollar company that has um, hundreds of thousands of employees working for it. But the ESPN brand is interesting because we connect at the very local level at these sports uh, organizations. There's not enough of us to go around, hence why we, we do give to third-party giving. But our employees are built with this mission statement of serve the sports fan, and they've been able to develop programming for us that we never thought was possible with our employee resource groups about with the LGBTQ market, um, with our uh, young entrepreneurs and thinking with family and the, the young um, professional groups that we have. We take advantage of that and we try to integrate and synergize those elements through our volunteer, our service, our grant making to try to engage them at a higher level to also give us ideas. And we have more ideas than you can possibly imagine on a whiteboard all over our our office. But a lot of them are coming from our employees. Um, The way that we did our court builds across the nation and across the uh, Central and, and uh, Central uh, America and India uh, built to play that came from an employee. Um, you know the work that we're doing and some of our volunteer and LGBTQ markets. When an employee come, uh, when an athlete comes out, we go to our uh, uh, our employees first to say how should we treat and what are the questions that we should ask as journalists. So involving them in in this service is, I think, 
what is unique to our culture. Other companies have it. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Um, some are built with it, but nurturing that and feeding that and making sure that you keep it vibrant so that innovation can happen. That's, that's the beautiful, that's the, that moment. That's that, those words that I can't remember, um, that, you know, generations and cultures have come about, which is, you know, to provide the next generation of hope and inspiration. That's where service is really developed at a ESPN. And it's a, it's a really important point because, you know, I'm so glad you spoke about that the way you did, because this is not about a bunch of people sitting in a dark room and coming up with a plan and implementing it. I mean, the magic happens when you get everybody aligned around that shared mission and that shared goal and all pointing in the same direction. Without a doubt. Yeah. It is definitely a democratized process. And this is, I think, what's unique about now versus 10 years ago, that corporate social responsibility 10, 15, 20, almost 30 years ago when I got into it was very different than it is now. It was corporate giving and volunteerism. It was maybe some sustainability. It maybe did some government relations, but they were all transactionally in different spaces. Now you're looking at folding all that together and having a group that can be, as I say, dangerous ninjas behind the scene that are looking for the synergistic plays of public affairs, corporate giving, foundation giving, relationship management, reputation management, cause marketing, um, you know, corporate investments that are entrepreneurial, that are close to class B corps now. Um, being very innovative is now how our CSR practitioners are built. So it's great to have a great grant maker, but if they don't understand that there are ways that we have to engage our volunteer force for service, our executives for board development, um, reputation management because of public affairs, then we have failed. And I think that's, that's the new iteration of that CSR space. Right. And so, so what does that mean for, for ESPN specifically, Kevin? So as you, you've kind of got to this great, great place now where you're making a significant impact in the world through sport and are starting to think about what's next. I mean, what do you think the next 10 years hold for, for ESPN in terms of how you engage with the market through this lens of sport for good? Well, it's a great question and I'm a pragmatist, so I'm going to ground it in where we are right now. You know, we are, uh, you know, working from home because of the pandemic, the COVID-19 um, our company is still thriving and making things happening through technology and through innovation. Um, and corporate responsibility is coming at us from asks and pressures that the market is driving because of people's health and safety, our employees. Um, you know, it, it, it's all things to all people right now. And I think in the United States, we're seeing it for the first time that we are part of a greater collective. And I know we, we, we think that broadly, but I think, you know, this is a moment in time that is going to be a, a, a tipping point for, uh, I guess, a more central thinking, more, more moderate kind of inclusive thinking about how we move forward with corporate responsibility. So I think of it right now, like, you know, we're getting, I just had got off a conference call with the head of corporate responsibility for Disney. And we're thinking about like, a, what, what is the next six months? What does the next 18 months look like in a pandemic? How does, when sports starts back up, how are we going to work with the NFL to make sure that Monday night football is purposeful as it relates to the still what people are having to deal with to get to the stadium? Uh, if social distancing is still part of the equation, um, making sure that um, the safety net is in place for people with disabilities in sports. I mean, there's going to be a lot of questions that 
we, we all need to be futurists on. Um, and Neil, you know, I'm a big futurist. I like to think about where should we think about in a time period, not how should we think about it. And I think that uh, ESPN right now is looking at, you know, one, our obligation to the sports fan to serve them. When you talk about that, that's a huge menu of things that people believe service to their community or to them should look like. And if you say anytime, anywhere, which is our, 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 our mission statement, that means that's pretty broad stroke. Um, so we're going to have to narrow some things down, but I think technology is going to be one of the, the big plays here. I think the idea of what is sports is going to be a new focus area. We're already seeing it with e-gaming, but, you know, we've been doing the spelling bee and geographic bee and cheerleading championships for a long time. We're going to see different types of iterations of sport, um, which is competition and winners and losers. Um, but I also think we're going to see the human dynamic of how the sports fan is unique that when a game is over and there's winners and losers, that somehow it doesn't always fall on the negative end of losing, that there's hope and generosity and moments of greatness that's left behind that gives you hope for the next game, right? That we might win that one. And if you look at groups and teams that, you know, have had losing seasons for years, how do they keep those sports fans? We're going to look at that as a more kind of interpersonal, uh, with obviously analytics and things like that, but we're going to, keep the sports fan front and center center, but we're also going to look for the athletes and these teams and what gives them hope, what keeps them alive, get more people involved in sport. Because as we said earlier, you know, through our programming, like don't retire kid uh, with the Aspen Institute about the next generation of athletes is going to be the next generation of leaders. Um, we're going to look at anti-bullying and, you know, using power incorrectly uh, with athletes and others. We're going to keep, you know, trying to push, push the envelope. And, and that's, that's the best you can do in innovation is there's going to be a lot of stuff that we're going to come out with that will push the envelope that may not stick, but it's, it's we have to be innovative. Right. And, and if you kind of step back and take a macro view, Kevin, on, on the sports industry as a whole, I mean, you're probably one of the few people that's in a privileged position to you know, to have access and to be speaking to a very broad spectrum of, of players um, uh, in the business of sport. What, what do you think, uh, how do you think sport generally can respond to the changes that we're seeing? Not only this kind of move to purpose that's underway that we've seen play out at a corporate level and is now starting to take hold within sport, but also as a consequence of the COVID crisis and everything that's around that. What, what's your, what, what do you think the lessons are that sport can draw on to be, using its platform more impactfully than it perhaps has done to date. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting, Neil, because I think, um, you know, again, I'm, I, I, I'm a pragmatist, but I've been doing this for a while. And so, you know, I, I my attention span and my uh, exposure for long periods of, you know, evangelizing a movement, are getting much smaller because I just, I want, I want to create more impact over time. So my attention span is getting shorter. Um, meaning the amount of time I want to put in to convince people that, you know, certain things are the next wave of us. I, I think we just got to go in there and say, this is going to happen and let's, let's test it and move forward. And I, and I think that's just probably because I'm getting older, but the idea of purpose, I think is a really interesting, um, I'll just say notion, because right now it hasn't been owned. I mean, purpose has actually been out there for quite a while as a conversation about 
the iteration of corporate responsibility. And, 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 you know, people still ask me, what does that mean? What does corporate social responsibility mean? I mean, every single business school that is out there now is teaching people corporate responsibility and corporate citizenship. And they may call it different things, sustainability, whatever. Um, but the fact is, is they all are kind of, kind of zooming in, zoning in uh, to a declarative that, that we have to personify our brands and we have to personify our actions and our outcomes. And purpose is the way to do that. It, it, it creates the road and the transmission to get there. It's not replacing your mission statement. It's the why. And the interesting thing now, and the reason I think we're at this unique moment is I believe in the whole generational shift. I, I totally get it. I think we make too much of the millennials and zennials and being, you know, declared of that, you know, born 1963 is the baby boomer, everything after is, you know, a millennial. I, I just don't believe in that. I, I think there's a lot of relationship to how culture has changed generations. What we're absolutely seeing without a doubt is the, I call them zennials, which is those born in, you know, 2000 on, um, are built with a why, because they were brought up that way, ask questions why, and, you know, uh, the millennial generation was brought up of you're going to have access and we're going to make sure that access is there and you, everyone gets to play uh, and everyone wins. Um, now it's become, why is that? The, the, the next generation is asking questions. And if we're going to really establish credibility with the next generation of youth, we need to start to think like them and we need to, we need to recruit them. Um, and they're saying to us, what does your company stand for? Uh, not just, you know, what, how many Emmys have you won? Am I going to get to learn new things? It's like, am I also going to be able to com commit to my community? Now, some of us are getting it wrong, which is like, we, some of us are calling that volunteerism. I'll be really honest with you. I, I'm not sure that they're looking for volunteerism. They're looking to be part of a movement. They're looking to be part of a change. And I am certainly translating this because I'm at the end of the baby boomer generation. But what we're absolutely seeing is a commitment to be part of something. And so companies need to provide that. Um, and we're seeing that when you do that, as I just said, when we did our you know, uh, we had something called 40,000 acts of service. When we did that, people were talking about quote unquote volunteerism in a whole different way. Well, I helped walk dogs at the ACPCA, ACPA. Um, we, you know, uh, mowed the lawn of some friends down the street that were next to the uh, football field that we mow because we knew that they were elderly. There was no charity involved. Um, so this commitment to purpose, I think, is going to be continue to be defined. And I don't think we should be so onerous as we were when we were shifting from, you know, corporate giving and sustainability to corporate social responsibility. We just got so tight about what that meant. Whereas we really let, we need to let people define purpose and service for themselves, listen to them, and then transact and then try to bring that definition back to them. And it's not going to be so multifaceted that we can't put major programs out there and movements and pro, you know, uh, investments. It's just that we're going to have to think broadly about how people enter into the movement, whether it's technologically, whether it's physically, whether it's through iterations of community, through social media, whatever, we're, we're going to have to think differently. And that's right. what, that's what this new purpose guideline is going to give us. So, so if we take that and we, and I'm just extrapolating what, what I think I heard you say into a practical example. So if we have a, a 
just use MBA as an example. So we have an MBA team whose mission right now might be to put a to put a team on the court that can win um, the championship. That's their mission. What we're saying is that in addition mm -hmm. to that, what's going to be required of them going forward is that they're very clear about their why and the difference that they make in the world while trying to win a championship. Would that be fair? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. And the, and the why is, you know, going to be different for the administrative office, the marketing, the sponsors, the athletes there. And we need to ask them what they think that purpose is like, you know, they, they need fans. They need people to fill the stadium. They need people to, you know, be employed in the arena. They need arenas built. They need communities of diversity to enjoy the 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 um, game different ways. And so that's going to be really empowering and innovative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things that you spoke about, the why could drive all of those things and become part of the business conversation. Right. And I think, you know, I think marketing has been talking about purpose in, in ways for a long time, but I don't think they've called it that. Um, and when I say marketing, I mean true, you know, analytical marketing backed up by, you know, uh, research and, um, you know, uh, real-time experiences. But the purpose piece is still ethereal and it needs to remain so because other people will define it. We just need to be good listeners and a good transaction to, to translate that back to them. Right. Well, Kim, it's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you for everything that you and your team at ESPN do. Um, I look forward to seeing what unfolds in the next 10 years because uh, I have a sneaky feeling it's going to be awesome. So thank you. Hey, thank you so much. And thank you for all you're doing. And it's, it's uh, a blessing to be part of the broader, you know, sports society here, but uh, you know, doing the stuff that we're working on um, with teams and athletes and our employees, uh, it's a privilege. And so we just need to make sure we are listening and doing it right as we move forward. So stay safe and um, look forward to our next generation of uh, sports fans. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Legacy Sport Live, the companion podcast series to our new book, Legacy Sport how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Please visit our website at www.legacysport.org to order your copy of the book and join our growing community of sports business professionals committed to doing good while doing well through sport.